Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, got good friend of the program, Mike Pina, joining us. Mike, how you doing, man? You've been covering this Brooklyn-Philadelphia uh, series. You obviously are going to be watching the Celtics pretty heavily, and you're, you're watching all the NBA games. Who are we kidding, man? I'm watching everything. Sam, thank you so much for having me, my guy. Um, last night's Nets Sixers game, it was looking like... Uh... Looking like the Nets, that was basically a, a must-win, I guess you could say, um, and they they did not come through. Big bummer for them. Yeah, so let's just kind of jump in to that series. Uh, so last night, Brooklyn, what did they have a lead like kind of late in that game, or did it just get within like five or so? No, they never they remember. never took the lead. But uh, as Brett Brown described it, it was a meltdown by his team in the last few minutes of the third and things were going haywire and it looked like brooklyn was going to uh you know have the fourth quarter where there would be a situation for d'angelo russell or spencer dinwiddie or or karis lavert or someone to go off in the fourth and kind of take over and they just never did um but no they, they never philly never actually relinquished the lead which was kind of surprising yeah so Let's just talk about Ben Simmons of it all, because I feel like he is the number one story coming out of this series, both negatively in game one and then positively in the last two games. Uh, Ben Simmons went for 31-9-4 last night. He was just about as dominant as I can remember him looking. Like, I think that that may be his best game of his career, realistically. Like, he goes 11-13 of from the field, gets to the foul line a bunch. He was just kind of all over the place i mean like what did you see from ben being there yeah ben was a total stud um we talked before we started recording about how without him being on the floor he was able to play in space a little bit more play uh kind of in a point as a point five screening on ball screening off ball pushing in transition without wearing uh about Embiid's ability to keep up in the open floor which has been um a little bit of an issue for the Sixers over the past couple seasons uh he was tremendous and you know as a scorer which is his big it's like the big like the thing about Simmons that I was thinking about today is like if the comparisons are with Giannis in terms of you know you surround Ben Simmons with uh spacers at every position and he should be able to dominate but the way I look at Simmons as compared to Giannis is that Giannis is a seven foot 6'11", whatever you want to say, uh, version of Westbrook, whereas uh, Simmons is kind of like a 6'10 version of Rondo in that he's just never really looking to put the ball in the basket. He's always looking to set guys up. He's always looking to create these organic uh, situations where he can get someone like Tobias Harris free or Redick free in transition. Those two are always looking for to get looking for each other. Uh, in transition so uh, yeah Simmons was he was remarkable Um, he was hitting those kind of like five six seven foot shots those running hooks those are so key to his game and when those fall he is he's really 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 difficult to defend yeah the thing about Ben is that he has a really great innate sense of what a good shot is for his teammates too like you never really see him 
making a pass to a teammate to try and set up like a 16 foot mid range jumper. It's always, he's looking for guys beyond the three point line. He's looking for guys at the basket. Uh, Otherwise he's either going to pass it off and just continue to roll within the flow of the offense, or he's going to try and create for himself a little bit. And he kind of balanced those two things really well last night. I felt like, Um, and you know, you mentioned in part too, like we talked about early, like having, no Joel Embiid created a circumstance where Simmons got, I would say maybe like a few minutes as kind of a small ball five. Like they played a lot of Greg Monroe. They played a lot of uh, Boban even in this game. Like the Boban series is really, really fun to watch. He's, <laughs> you know, he, he is actually producing in this playoff series so far. I think that he, he has what, like, isn't it? I want to say like 14 points a game, something like he has, that. He, just, he actually has not missed a shot in the whole series. I'm yeah, just kidding, but um, it feels <laughs> but, like that. Like, I would a hundred percent believe that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's absurd. Um, it's, it's funny. Like when it was first announced at the game that Embiid was not going to play, there was a little, you know, there was a little bit of shock in the media dining area. And then, um, because Embiid had spoken before the game, which was rare, um, and did not mentioned that and then uh then we had uh greg monroe as the player to replace him and then it was just like oh my like it was the the reception was extremely negative no one really understood what brett brown was thinking there um you would think that uh uh, you know we just talked about simmons as a 0.5 and that someone who would be a better Better to start, I think, would be someone like Mike Scott, someone who could really, you know, who could shoot, who can kind of defend a little bit in space, or definitely more so than Monroe, uh, and just have them be switching at at all five positions um, and how and 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 create space for Simmons. Uh, instead, he starts Monroe with the philosophy that. You know, Monroe can just drop back in on defense, which is what they did for every high pick and roll, and and the, the Nets missed a bunch of pull up threes in that game. Um, and then you know have either Boban or, or Monroe execute that philosophy. And, and uh, when Boban sub uh, fouled out later in the game, that was kind of when Ben Simmons was able to cook with in those Mike Scott lineups. So uh, I, I was very surprised, honestly, that the Monroe thing worked as well as it did. I don't know if that's sustainable, but well, I do like think that the... Yeah, like, no, here's my question. Like, did it actually work? <laughs> like, um, he, he went, like, 4 of 13 and was, like, kind of bad uh, offensively in terms of efficiency. And, like, look, like, everyone in their starting lineup, you look, like, Tobias Harris, plus 23, Ben Simmons, plus 11, Jimmy Butler, plus 18, J.J. Redick, plus 6. Like, it's pretty glaring that Monroe was a minus 9, (laughs) and then, like, Boban was a plus 18, right? Sure. It's, like... Yeah, but we, you, you you analyze it basically. It's the playoffs are really funny. Like they win the game and they drop one thirty one or however many points they they did, and so the decision to play Monroe and start him instead of starting Boban and then going to Mark, Mike Scott and just having Monroe out of the rotation or even playing someone like Amir Johnson, uh, who is just, you know, I, I don't even know if he's an NBA player anymore. No, yeah, um, he's, he's like not dressable at this stage, I don't think. Right, exactly. So, uh, yeah, it, it's probably a stretch. That's fair for you to call me out saying that it worked. Uh, it worked in the sense that I think when you look at how poorly the Sixers have played throughout the regular season without Embiid, um, for them to win this game on the road in what was 
easily the loudest Barclays Center has ever been, I would say. I know I've only been to games the last couple of seasons, but it was extreme. It was like a completely different environment there. I expected Sixers fans to kind of overtake the place, not even close. Um, uh, it was very energetic, and, and for them to play as well as they did despite Monroe, I thought was pretty impressive. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that. that's probably the best way to put it. Like, they did it in spite of Monroe, in a way. Yeah. Like, the funniest, like, number right now, I think, in this series is that Boban's net rating is, like, plus 20 uh, in 52 minutes. Like, obviously, Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris, like, these guys that are in their starting lineup, in the best starting lineup in the NBA, uh other than the Warriors, realistically. Uh, you look at the two games that J.J. Redick, Tobias Harris, Jimmy Butler, Joel Embiid, and Ben Simmons have played. They've only played 19 minutes together. In those 19 minutes, they have a 72 net rating uh, when Joel mm. plays. So, like, that starting lineup is killing, regardless of, like, kind of what we talked about with, like, Ben, you know, maybe maybe not uh, getting enough space to operate. I just think that when Joel is off the floor... And, like, you can only play Boban 20 minutes a night, realistically. I would just fill those minutes with Mike Scott and Ben Simmons playing off of each other at, like, the 4-5. No, I, I agree with you. And I think that it's it's this big, like, the big issue, I think, with this team, regardless of all the, the transactions, seismic transactions that they made throughout the regular season, is just the relationship between Simmons and Embiid. And, you know, it's kind of fair to assume that Simmons would not be able to have this type of game in the way that he did if Embiid played, right? So, yeah. I mean, like he, Embiid, the thing about playing someone like Monroe or even Boban to a lesser extent is just they can basically execute the defensive game plan. They're not going to replicate Embiid's defense, but they can they can stand in as kind of a, a proxy in, and, and, and and execute the same scheme. Offensively, though, it's like those guys don't need the ball at all to impact the game. So Embiid is someone, you know, he'll be a trailing big. He'll call for the ball. He'll have to he'll pump and go from behind the three-point line. He'll post up. Uh, you know, he hasn't posted up a ton this series, but that's something, obviously, that is a big part of their offense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they'll work off that. But Simmons, you know... I, I, I don't know what version it's so it's almost blasphemous to say it, it is blasphemous to say that the Sixers are better without um, without Embiid but the way Simmons looks so brilliant and he's it's just like you see he's 22 he's so tantalizing in in, in space and I'm just kind of like I don't know what they do long term there and I know that that's not really the the conversation people want to have right now but it is it is something that they're going to have to answer assuming that Simmons never develops the type of jump shot that he needs to. Yeah, it's really weird because I think a lot of it is going to depend on what happens with Tobias and Jimmy this summer, right? Like mm-hmm. yep. uh if Jimmy's there I actually think that you can So like what do you think of the Jimmy Butler Ben Simmons fit cuz like I actually think it's pretty good i like the idea of jimmy butler getting to essentially play point guard in the half court a lot of the time and then you play ben off ball you play uh 
have him like kind of create as a secondary creator who doesn't really shoot it all that well. But, you know, th- then you kind of run into help defense issues. Ben does create a lot of problems just in general in half court offense. But having a guy like Jimmy to at least take over while also providing the size and the defensive acumen to be able to guard ones consistently and allowing Ben to kind of free float defensively and play as like the monster help defender that I think he's best at. Like, it it does just like generally really help that Mike. Yeah, and to to Ben's credit, he was extremely good on ball last night as well, which is he's really scary when he gets down, hikes up the shorts, and just will not let you drive by him in space. Uh, he's not like that all the time, but when he is, he's just an absolute force. Um, I think that the you know the the Jimmy Simmons by itself combination can definitely work in my opinion but you need these things around them and i don't think that the pieces like reddick is a perfect piece for that and tobias harris is a perfect piece for that but i and beat is not so (laughs) like i don't know what you do there and then on the other on the flip of it it's like i was kind of like um look jimmy has asserted himself on this team as the alpha here and in terms of uh, a wing scoring presence. And so, you know, if the Sixers were to lose this series, does what happens with Simmons' future in Philadelphia? Because I, I think the numbers are really good when uh, Embiid and Butler are on the floor without Simmons and you have spacers around them and you have Jimmy operating on high pick and roll. Um, so uh, I, I I just don't know how this all works going forward. Uh, I don't know if it's wise to re-sign Jimmy to the money that he wants because I don't know how tradable that contract will be, assuming that right. that that it doesn't work um, in a playoff series against the best or four straight playoff series. Because the goal here is to win it all. It's not to to get to the conference finals when you have this type of talent. Um, so I just don't know how it all fits. And it's just a really interesting thing going forward. And I'm glad that I do not have to make the final decision. <laughs> yeah. Elton brand. This is a, how of a, <laughs> you know, essentially second year that he's going to have to figure out uh, second off season, at least that he's going to have to figure out. Um, the last guy I do want to bring up, we've talked a little bit about Tobias Harris, but he struggled in the first two games of the series and was really, really good uh, in game three. He was kind of the, you know, Ben was obviously the driving force behind their game three performance, but I thought Tobias was in many ways the difference, just getting his uh, game going, getting him at 29 and what, what did he go like 29 and 13 or something like he hit, that. He hit all six of his threes. Which yeah, is like obviously getting significant. Yeah, getting him uh, to be able to space the floor and play a little bit more actualized offensively because, like, he took 19 shots in this game, which is something that you know we talk about Tobias Harris and part of the reason that he's such a good fit with Philadelphia is that he can be this low usage high-scoring, high-efficiency guy, right, who can also attack a little bit off the bounce, who can create his own shot. I can't really remember the last time, like, with the Sixers, where I felt like he was this, I don't want to say engaged offensively, but, like, he was this big a part of the offense. And I do wonder, again, like, what is the role of Joel not being there and, you know, how much does this really affect the way that Tobias plays particularly? Yeah, I mean, Tobias... He is. It was a situation last night where, again, when Embiid's not on the floor, things just flow better. So the Nets are missing all these shots, and basically whoever gets the rebound can push. You have Simmons, yeah. you have Tobias, you have Jimmy. 
Um, Greg Monroe. Sure, exactly. You know, known, basically reminding everyone of Magic Johnson in his prime <laughs> last night. Um, no, so I mean, Tobias is, he's one of those guys. He, you have to respect him when he's coming up the floor. And uh, when he has it, he, he has it going from the outside. He's obviously a, a devastating threat. I think when I watch him play, uh, particularly in this series, the fact that he is not aggressively finishing around the basket is a little worrisome in terms of we have to pay this guy a five-year max i don't want to pay a wing a five-year max if he is not dynamic enough to wreak havoc on drives to the hoop you know what i mean like you can be and fit is wonderful i I agree that he fits you know he probably should have been an all-star this season I, i put him on my team when he was with the clippers um, but he's basically a pull-up artist, and that's really not going to cut it, in my opinion. I mean, what are, what are your thoughts on the fact that they have all this pressure this summer to re-sign this guy? Yeah, I mean, I think that the big problem was that they drastically overpaid for him, given drastically, what... yeah. Well, they did, like, just no, given what, for instance, yeah. Otto Porter got, like, two days later, right? Given what Harrison Barnes got two days later. Uh, like it's not that Tobias Harris isn't a better player than those guys. He is very clearly a better player, but you're talking about building on the margins in a lot of ways too. And given the role that this player will have to play with Philadelphia, like it's pretty easy for me to make a case that I would have rather traded one first round pick and like the salary matching for, uh, for Otto Porter. You know what I mean? Like it, it just, makes a lot more sense. Then you'd still have Landry Shamit, you'd still have all of these things, and you'd still likely, I mean, look, Ernie Grunfeld is inscrutable and not very good. <laughs> so like maybe he did really value Bobby Portis, but like I, I just look at this and say they're locked into a box now because they overpaid for a guy and they probably realistically need to need to just commit to it at the end of the day. Like same with Jimmy, like they probably need to just commit to this core now. And that's not the most ideal place to be, I guess. I, I don't know about, I, I I agree with you about the Tobias thing. They, it was, I thought it was a horrendous trade when I first saw it. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. You, you should never give up that much for a guy who's entering free agency. You just, right. That's just not, that's just not good. They gave up three first round picks. Like genuinely they gave up three first round picks. Shamit is a player, and he's on a cost-controlled deal. He, that's the type of player that you need if you are going to be maxing out Ben Simmons in a year, and you already have Embiid maxed out, and you're gonna yep. you just traded for Jimmy Butler, and you know you would assume that he's the guy you need to max out. Like Landry Shamit, those are the pieces that you that you absolutely need, especially yeah. when you look at the success that Redick has had in your system, and the fact that he is not getting any younger, uh, and he's also a free agent, so. Uh, I thought that that trade was just really silly, and then you don't even get back, you know, someone like uh, Patrick Beverly from the uh, Clippers in that deal. Uh, I just it didn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, you know, there were other moves to be made. You look at the fact that they traded for, uh, you know, the Fultz trade with Orlando. You get Jonathan Simmons, and I'm kind of like, why didn't you try to get Terrence Ross instead? I mean, a pick in Jonathan Simmons for a team that's trying to win the title this season. Uh, ostensibly 
that does not make a lot of sense to me. Meanwhile, Terrence Ross is having a career year, and he's a guy who you can throw at, uh, you know, someone like Spencer Dinwiddie for for stretches and have some a little bit of success. So, um, I I just uh, I, I I don't know what they do. I don't think necessarily that Butler is a lock to come back to this team. I think that if you were to re-sign everybody, it, I, I don't want to say the word use the word disaster, but it's it's not ideal if you're if you were you know if you were to transport me back three years when they were in the middle of the process or whatever um if this was the result of the process like something went wrong yeah it's so hard like i feel like they just it's it's hard because it's not that they (laughs) totally fucked this all up because i don't think that's like quite fair but also i feel like they just didn't get optimal value in the way that they made multiple decisions on top of one another. Like it's, it's the compounding effect more than it is everything else that goes into it. Like you traded for both Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris and utilize all of your assets and moved Markel Fultz now. Like this is who you are now. And I just wonder if that lack of flexibility now, like the the best teams in the league keep flexible. They keep mobile. They keep the ability to have their roster be light on their feet. And this 76ers team doesn't have that. And that's what concerns me. Yeah. When I look at it, obviously they rush the timeline. um, And you can look at, substantially and you can look at it and and i think that i've been going over in my head every time i think about the sixers and the comments that elton brand has made about how the window is now and the conspiracy theorist in me thinks that those statements allude to something is wrong something is uh wrong is not the right word something is uh problematic something is afoot about Joel Embiid's body and we we obviously know what has happened in the past but well it it could uh, be Joel's body or it could be like they think Ben Simmons might take the qualifying offer like it it could be something it could be like both of those things you know there's a yeah there's a but the with the Simmons thing it's kind of like either you have confidence as an organization or you don't and so you're screwed if that's how you're operating you're screwed before you even started but um with Embiid, it's kind of like, you know, who knows if he's going to be in the league in three years for for, for real. I mean, uh, the fact that his knee is just this chronic thing and the fact that he didn't play uh, down the stretch of the regular season as frequently as he did. And then, you know, sitting out this playoff game that was it was you know, people were speculating on press row last night about, oh, maybe they're just intentionally sitting him here and he's fine. But, uh, they, you know, he just needs that extra rest heading in for the rest of the series. And this is a good spot to get it. And I'm like, they're one, one against a team. Like now they're on the road. Like, this is not, it, this is not time to rest Joel Embiid. There's something wrong here. That's pretty clear to me. Um, and so I think that was an issue. And then also, you know, you can go through the draft picks that they've made and there's been some real, real whiffs, uh, faults, Okafor, et cetera. So, um, here they are and they have all this talent. And I think that Brett Brown made a really good point last night when he compared last year's team to this year's team, which is last year's team had everybody, everybody was dependent on 
Ben and Joel. And that was really tricky. You had Irsan, you had um, obviously Reddick, you had Bellinelli. Uh, Covington, Bellinelli, Sarich. <clears throat> yeah, these guys are not able to create for themselves efficiently. And you replace them with a guy like Jimmy Butler, who obviously can, who can obviously get buckets, who is a uh, uh, you know, a multiple-time all-star in this league. And then you have uh, Tobias Harris, who can go get himself a bucket, who can draw two if need be. Uh, so it just makes... It, it's, it is a different dynamic, and I, I unfortunately think for them that uh, as good as Embiid is, uh, that the fit issue between some of these guys, there's just not enough time for them to figure it out, even if figuring it out... Figuring it out might not even be possible. And then you look at a team like... Uh, you know, Toronto, or like I just don't, I don't see them ever getting by a team like Toronto that can really do a lot of different things. Uh, I think they match up kind of well with uh, Milwaukee, but you know, Milwaukee is extremely good, and then we all, we already know the issues that they've had in the past against the Celtics. So um, I just I never thought that getting out of the East was realistic for them. So to make the moves that they did was slightly delusional and could really hurt them in the long run. Yeah, I'll be real interested. I, I do think that it's realistic for them to get out of the East. Uh, Milwaukee is the one that scares me, like, substantially uh, out of all of this. I mean, like, do I think the Sixers are better than Milwaukee? I don't. But do I think that they have, like, a 15% chance to get out of the East? Maybe a, yeah, probably 15, I would say. I think they're probably the second most talented team, right? <laughs> like, in terms of a roster that you would want for the playoffs, like... I think they're more talented than Boston, but I do think that like having Brad Stevens versus Brett Brown is a pretty big differentiator. Um, I don't know. Sure. Like, what, do you, what do you think of that? Like, do you think they're more talented than Toronto? I think that I, no, I do not. Um, I do not think they're more talented than Toronto. I think that Toronto can play in so many different ways That's and a good point. with so many different, like, Having Gasol there, having, I mean, their backup five right now is Serge Ibaka. That's like, that is a luxury. Um, yeah. You know, you have Pascal Siakam is arguably at this point right now um, a more impactful basketball player than Ben Simmons, contextualized within what his team needs from him. And uh, that was a, a that was like a word salad situation there, but I think you know what I mean. Um, yeah, I, I do not agree with it, but I do know what you mean. Like B- Pascal's awesome. Like I, I think he is legit, like a top forty player in the NBA right now. I think he might. I mean, he's a guy who's just getting buckets, like yeah. against real good defense, like when his team needs it from him. I mean, I, I always thought of him as you know, not to denigrate, but the word you know, a role player, someone who feeds off of. Um, who who will leak out and he'll he'll get hit with throw-aheads from Lowry or, um, uh, you know, be able to spot a little bit and then attack closeouts and just play off Kawhi, play off the stars on that team. But he's... No, he can go get a bucket. Yeah, and that's huge. That is huge. We talked about Ben Simmons. I, I don't know if Ben Simmons can get you a bucket in the same way that Siakam can. Uh, and that's important in a postseason context. Uh, and then just, you know, you look at someone like Van Fleet. There's no one like Van Fleet and, and that Philadelphia can even touch. So um, I, I, I think that it's top to bottom that they have more talent. I also think the best player in that series is Kawhi over Embiid. I'm still a yeah, huge Kawhi person. Yeah, um, I agree with that for sure. Yeah. So I would just, I would probably pick them. Then Boston is just, I think that that is extremely matchup. 
Like, I, I don't know if I, I, I can't say that Boston is more talented, although they they're an extremely talented team when everyone's firing. But uh, I, I, I would probably side Boston just because of how they can match up. Like, they just don't have answers for a lot of the players on the Celtics. Well, let's let's move to Boston. I think we've talked enough about Philadelphia. Wonderful. Um, Philadelphia is really good they're a little bit messy and i feel like we shit on them for like 30 minutes here um <laughs> philadelphia is really good like they're, they're good they're good one of the last eight teams in the playoffs and that's really hard to do uh where they go from there against likely toronto we'll see um but robin hood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks etfs options and cryptos all commission free while other brokerage is charge uh, up to $10 for every trade. Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. There is no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as the 100 most popular stocks. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of Game Theory a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at gametheory.robinhood.com. That's gametheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y dot robinhood.com. So Boston is in a series against Indiana where... I feel like Indiana has done kind of exactly what it wants to do. Like they're doing, like they've kept it within single digits. They've kept the games under a hundred points for the winner. It just kind of doesn't matter because one team has Kyrie Irving and the other team is just prone to going through long stretches without a bucket because they don't have a guy that can go like just attack and go get a bucket. The talent disparity is like, it's so enormous when you watch these two teams play. It's like, yeah. Kyrie is just kind of, especially in game two, um, but even stretches in game one. He, it's like everyone on the court is playing in the NBA, and then Kyrie is playing in this other league that's above the NBA, and like all the guys, especially on Indiana, are just like not even in that league. And you just saw that over and over and over again, especially in game two. Um, this series is really interesting to me because Indiana, as you said, is kind of able to do it's it's been able to execute how it wants to play. You know, they've been forcing a ton of turnovers. They've been uh, capitalizing off these turnovers. They've made Boston's offense look really sloppy. Um, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I will say that uh, one of the real interesting wrinkles is the fact that uh, I looked at this, I looked this stat up yesterday, so it might have changed. But Indiana, you know, during the regular season, they were a very long two-oriented team. They were not really huge fans of the three-point line. And they are second, or at least they were yesterday, they were second in three-point rate uh, in the postseason behind only the Houston Rockets, which is, you know, it's a team that's, uh, from that perspective, you know, they're dipping a little bit outside of what their identity is. And, you know, it's smart to take threes, sure, but... I don't well, know if their personnel is, you know, Thad Young is chucking threes. 
that the Celtics are giving you and he's not making them, that's that's not a win for your team. Well, here, here's what I would say about that. I do think it makes a modicum of sense for them because I think that this has to be a variant series for them in a lot of ways. You know you're, that you're going to defend if you feel any sort of confidence in your transition defense to slow down Boston, which I think that they probably should even coming off of you know potentially longer rebounds coming from three pointers you just have to find a way to make this series more variant for yourself offensively so i actually kind of like the idea of taking a lot of threes for them just because i think it makes sense and you look at their starting lineup right now thaddeus young darren collison west matthews boyan and miles turner those guys have actually performed really really well for Indiana together so far like they have a net rating of 13 in the 39 minutes they've been on the floor it's just that you know we came into this series assuming that Indiana's depth is gonna be the thing that like might be able to help them we came into the season really thinking Indiana's depth is the thing that could really help them and that's just not borne itself out so far like that Tyreek Evans has been awful um you know, even Demonis Sabonis, I think, has not been very good in this series so far. Oh, Sabonis, I mean, that was one of the most disappointing individual games a player has had in the playoffs. He didn't hit a basket. I mean, Sabonis, over one, in my opinion, he's like, I don't know, would you say he's the most talented player that they have right now? I, he's up there. Yeah, offensively, I think that's right. Maybe Boyan, yeah. but, you know, I mean, Demonis is probably a little bit more creative. Yeah, so that was that was disappointing. I totally agree with what you're saying about the variance. I mean, you, you don't have, you're not going to be able to outscore the Celtics, uh, even if you force you know 15, 16 turnovers or whatever they did in game two. It's just like you're not going to be able to. And they could have easily won that game too. We should say, especially you know, the, the toward down down the end of the towards the end of that game, like there were several shots, uh, particularly like. Uh, taken in the paint that you know the ball hit like every single inch of the rim and then bounced out right and it's like it's just like stuff like that happens and you know they, this series could easily be tied one one but the i go back to the talent disparity i go back to them kind of shifting a little bit out of their identity which again i totally get what you're saying but i just don't think that they have the personnel to execute um i i I don't really know what the answers are for them, and that's okay. I, 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 I mean, heading in, they, they probably. I, I, you mentioned depth, um, and this team does have players off the bench who are respectable. Definitely, um, they can play different types of lineups for sure. They can go big. They can play as a bonus at the five and Thad Young at the four, or even Bogdan, Bojan Bogdanovic at the four, uh, if need be. Goes a little bit smaller. Um, but the Celtics, that's kind of like you're just kind of going apples to apples with a team that is more talented than you and can do the exact same thing. So it's just not not the right matchup for them. I mean, we just talked about the Sixers and their lack of depth a little bit. I don't think that the Pacers could beat the Sixers by any chance, but I do think that depth could be could work in their favor a lot more in that matchup than it than it has in this series. Yeah, so I mean, let's just kind of shift to Boston real quick. I mean, we finally got Jason Tatum playing super, super well, which was Mm -hmm. nice to see. Uh, Your large son, Jason. Yep, my buddy. (laughs) Give me some thoughts on your your guy. Uh, I mean, he's... Let's start with the defense. Um, 
I thought that Brad Stevens' decision in this series to put him on Darren Collison and let Kyrie Irving guard Wesley Matthews has been a very smart one. And, uh, you know, Tatum has been throughout his career, his two seasons, there are, you know, the Celtics like to switch a lot. And a lot of times, you know, he'll switch onto a guard. Um, I'm thinking in my mind right now of uh, a game earlier this season against the Hornets, where they closed down the stretch with a lot of switches to the point where the Hornets were basically targeting Tatum and getting Kemba Walker on him. And Kemba, you know, Kemba's one of the best players in the league, so this is a little silly, but Kemba was just cooking Tatum in space. And it looked like he had no chance to stay in front of him or even bother him on drives at all, which is a little worrisome. And then you enter this series and Tatum, granted it's not against Kemba Walker, it is against Darren Collison. Uh, so steep drop off. But the confidence that he's had moving laterally, his ability to uh, pressure the ball, use his length. He's deflected a ton of entry passes into the post to Wesley Matthews that have led to steals the other way. He's just been very disruptive on, uh, as a defender in this series. So I want to first give him credit for that because it's important um, and why I think he's so valuable uh, overall and in the long run. Uh, offensively, you know, he's really straight away from those annoying, you know, off the bounce long twos that are contested. He's he's really kind of shifted away from that in this series. He's taking a lot of spot threes, making them at the right times. He's been very aggressive attacking the basket. That one play in game two down the stretch where he drove left off a closeout, cocked back with his right hand and threw it down. I thought he was high enough to basically kiss the front of the rim. That was one of the more impressive plays that uh, we've seen from him in weeks. Um, he's just he's just a real gifted offensive basketball player, and uh, you know he's he's playing with no lack of confidence whatsoever. Uh, I think that the Marcus Smart injury, you know, Marcus Smart touches the ball a ton. And which is something that you don't realize, but, you know, the 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 trickle down effect of not having him on the floor as often as he is, uh, particularly with Tatum, has allowed Tatum to, you know, uh, make more decisions. And he's done a pretty good job. So uh, I've, I've been very pleased with Tatum and uh, he's I mean, the Celtics need him to be the second option offensively because Gordon Hayward is not Gordon Hayward yet. Um, if they want to make some noise in the next round. And I guess we'll see if he can keep that up. Yeah. So, I, I mean, we can talk about Jason and just what he's done uh, this season. I mean, like, would you consider this season to be like a small disappointment for him on the whole? I, I get asked that a lot. And I, I totally get it why people think that. Um, I think it's really tricky to. By the way, like I don't know if I even feel this way. Like I, I don't really feel yeah, strongly no, about no, it. Yeah, uh, I, I don't. I would not. I think the word disappointment is really strong. I think heading into the year, based on the postseason run that he had, which was. He was a volcano. Um, you know, anytime anyone dunks on LeBron James in Game Seven of the Eastern Conference Finals, which I will bring up every single time that you let me. Um, anytime anyone does that, it's going to be a big deal and it's going to be a flashpoint that kind of sticks in people's memories. So you have a lot of national writers saying that, oh, is Tatum, Tatum might be the best player on the Celtics this next season and stuff like that. And it's like, 
those expectations are just wild. Um, so for a guy who shot 43% from the three-point line, I, I don't know how many people were ex- you should should reasonably be expecting that in year two um, in a situation where he's not going to know where the shots are coming from as as consistently given that you know Kyrie was going to be back obviously and then Gordon was going to be back and uh, so you have Marcus Morris who needs his touches you have you know Al Horford you have you have just a ton of guys Terry Rozier all guys are looking for shots so and it was money. going to and money and so it was going to be really tricky uh, for Tatum to shine in the way that his talent suggests he can already so i wasn't necessarily expecting that i was looking more for um I don't know. I talked about his defense earlier. I thought that that was touch and go a little bit. He would have flashes. He's improved as a post defender on switches dramatically, according to the numbers. So that's a good sign. Um, I, I, I At the end of the day, he is just like the long two thing is the long two thing. But he's the type of player who he can already get whatever shot he wants. So who I, I know that the long twos are the inefficient look, but for someone, again, who doesn't really know when to or how to insert himself during some stretches throughout the season, you know, he would go to uh, he would go to the mid range area and he would create space with his footwork that is just like it, it is miraculous for someone his age. And he would get a shot off over someone, a smaller defender over the top or uh, he would separate um with a, a step back or a sidestep or whatever it may be. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was uh, those moments are, are understandable. They are frustrating, but they are understandable, I will say. So I would not say that he was necessarily a disappointment or that or that he is not as shiny a prospect. I mean, if I was David Griffin and it came to be that Anthony Davis still is adamant about leaving, Tatum is still the guy that I want to build my team around at the end of the day. No question. Like, uh, I think he is still the best prospect other than like potentially Zion. Like if they get the number one overall pick, like if the Knicks get the number one overall pick, like that Mm. becomes a real question, but I still Mm -hmm. think Tatum's probably the next guy that you want. Like you're not going to take Brandon Ingram over Jason Tatum. I don't think so. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I I wouldn't call this like a major disappointment or anything from him at all. I mean, where do we think this series goes? Now, uh, do we just think that it's like a five game series and Boston's talent outplays it? Or do we think that Indiana can just make this hell? I think it's a sweep or a gentleman sweep. Um, I thought it was going to be a five before the series started. And I think that that's a fair. I think Indy could easily get one at home, particularly with that. I mean, they play they've played well defensively and just sticking to their game plan and their principles. Uh, they just haven't hit shots. And they yeah. haven't, um, I, I mean, yeah, they, they had a couple very odd decisions at the end of game two that, that they, I mean, that that's a game that they should have won as well. So, I mean, it wouldn't shock me at all if the, if Indy won one, but the, the way that um, they lost game two had to have been just so deflating for that team, knowing that, you know, they like, there's just no margin for error there. And when you have Kyrie, who is just, on another planet and hitting shots that are just so deflating. I don't know how you bounce back from that, but I mean, I wouldn't be shocked based on this, how the Celtics have played all season. I would not be shocked either way if they were to drop that one. Yeah, I think I agree. Uh, let's move on. Let's talk about the Derek white show. Uh, 
Derek White is God. <laughs> that that's my take. Uh, I've I've long been a big Derek White stan. Uh, basically, from midseason in his year at Colorado onward, I thought this guy's a first round pick. I think I had him at like fifteen on my board uh, on draft day. Like, did not understand how teams were missing this guy. Did not understand what teams thought and how they decided. You know, Derek White is not a guy that we want to take. And, you know, you saw guys like Justin Patton get drafted ahead of Derek White. And you saw guys like, um, you know, even someone like Harry Giles with all sorts of injury history and Caleb Swanigan. Like, we didn't know if he could play in the NBA at this stage. And, like, Derek White is like a multi positional potential lead guard who plays on both ends, who can shoot the ball. Like, it just seemed like a no brainer to me at the time and of course the Spurs got him and now he looks even better I think than what his talent level was because he's been in their development scheme for two years now he has gotten better uh at a rate commensurate or more commensurate with them with what he would have uh you know undergone had he been in Phoenix or uh you know another piss poor developmental program basically like it's just remarkably remarkably stupid that he fell to 29 and now we're here in a playoff (laughs) series where he just drops 31 and maybe like I I don't know if that was like a perfect basketball game like I think he missed like a couple of shots but given the fact that he defends his fucking ass off and then uh drops 31 points with five assists and five rebounds and you're 36 points I'm sorry like it was just a dominant performance in a way that like I haven't seen from a guy who averaged single digits uh in the regular season in a long time like it was unbelievable yeah it's so first of all it was like it was a joy to watch that i I caught it this morning i was again i was at the uh the nets game last night but it was a joy to watch uh he the way he from the jump uh played you know they knew that uh they knew that if they ended the ball to LaMarcus Aldridge on the block that, you know, that Denver was going to double on the first dribble. That was, it, it was very predictable. Uh, happened in the first two games of the series. And the way that he responded to that on the kickouts where he was just full throttle aggression, like uh, hitting gaps, uh, you know, taking a step into the paint towards the paint before the he caught the ball uh, from Aldridge on the kickouts. Like he he's just uh, amazing. Um, it was it was it was awesome to see. And and I when I'm watching him play, I'm trying to envision what the San Antonio Spurs will look like when Dejounte Murray, who I am just sky high on, uh, what they will look like for the next ten years with those two guys in the backcourt. I think that. It's just, it's amazing. The San Antonio Spurs are just absolutely, uh, you're gobsmacked with the fact that they're just able to produce this level of talent where they pick it in the draft. And, you know, people are texting me last night, how do the Spurs keep doing this? It's like, if I knew I'd be in the NBA, I'd have a job in the NBA. Like, I I don't know how they do this. It's it's, (laughs) it's amazing. I mean, you you probably should have a job. You had him at 15. I mean, here's here's how they do it. A lot of other organizations are bad. Like, I mean, a lot of other decision makers aren't very good at this. Um, I'm not going to name names because I like a lot of people who work in the NBA. Um, I wouldn't mind keeping the potential open for a job at some point. Like it's not something I'm actively searching for, but 
I wouldn't mind that possibility being out there, and I don't want to talk shit about people uh, publicly. <laughs> but, Good like, call, what the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> like, I just don't know how you miss on this guy. Like, look, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm, like, infallible. Like, I had Kyle Kuzma in the 40s on draft day, right? Like, I was not really a fan. I was questionable on the jump shot didn't really see the ability to attack closeouts in large part i will say that the reason that that happened was because utah spacing was a fucking nightmare when he was there and uh larry koskoviak just like spotted him up in the corner and didn't really allow him to showcase his skills um Apparently, when he went into workouts, he was incredible, but I didn't really get to see that because I have imperfect information doing this job from afar. But, like, it's it just eludes me. Everything we saw from Derek White was that this guy's going to be a monster. Or not even a monster. Like, he's going to be... I thought he was, like, a good secondary starter, basically, in the NBA. Whenever I had him that high, I was like, hey, this guy is going to be a useful player who can knock down shots for you, can handle some lead ball handling duties, who will defend, who can pass the ball. Like, he'll play secondary pick and roll maybe you play him with a guy that um like a Giannis or you could play him just as a point guard like the versatility there is valuable everyone can use a guy like Derek White like it's it's just crazy so coming out of college like a, a little just like a comp for him was he kind of were people thinking uh you know Malcolm Brogdon is that fair or better shooter I would say and not quite as physical so like Derek was super skinny coming out of college even um Mm -hmm. malcolm was you know just a man like built six 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 ten wingspan if i remember correctly 225 pounds Derek white on the other hand was like six five maybe like 200 pounds 190 pounds um pretty athletic but more of a cerebral game whereas malcolm was more of like a physical defender who wasn't like a super athlete right um bit more like Derek was a bit more skilled whereas Malcolm was a bit more physically ready right um mm. but like at the end of the day like just getting guys like Derek White and this is even like foregoing the fact that Derek White like legit might be a top 50 player in the NBA at some point now like given what we've seen from his growth this year um getting guys like Derek White who can come in immediately basically and play a role and you get those guys for three years on a super cheap contract that's very valuable. Like getting guys who are ready made to play is super, super valuable. Like it's what good teams do. Like I'm watching last night's game and I see like Denver clearly has a game plan against Derek White on the high pick and roll and they want to duck under and he's still able to get to the rim. That just tells me like that just says so much about his ability already. And forget about how brilliant and aggressive he was attacking closeouts. Like he made Will Barton and I mean, Will Barton is just, I don't even know what to say about him in this series. That's a whole different conversation, but he made guys who are closing out hard on him look silly last night, repeatedly. Uh, Jamal Murray, who's not a bad defender, Gary Harris, not a bad defender. I mean, he's just, he just got where he wanted and it's really funny because all of a sudden you have, if you're Denver, you have white, and then you have, oh, by the way, we still have to worry about DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge. Like, I just, I picked the Spurs in six in this series, and it was for a lot of different reasons that didn't even have to do with Derek White. So for him to establish himself as he's done, like, look, you have, this is really, this is kind of opening it up a little bit, but you have the Spurs, Nuggets, Blazers, and Thunder. One of these four teams is going to the conference finals. And now I'm like, why can't it be San Antonio? No, I'm with you on that. Like, I think that I would 
probably say I think I'd still pick Portland because Damian yeah. Lillard is just like best player in the special right now. It's not even like best player in the series. Like you might be able to make a case like he's been the best player in the playoffs so far, right? Um, he's been very good. He's been very good. I mean, like I'm still going Harden, but um, right, like, but but like that's a real question. I think Dame has been terrific. Yeah, Dame has been terrific. He's certainly acquitted himself from from uh, any such criticism that he had after last year's playoffs and the way that the Pelicans manhandled him. Uh, I think that, yeah, I think that the Blazers would be favorites, I think, uh, in that series. But um, well, it's just it's like the Spurs are just, the Spurs look really good. They, they're so deep. We talk about depth. I mean, Bertans didn't even play last night because early in the game he didn't shoot an open three and pop you could see pop, pop pantomiming shoot the ball uh, and then Bertans just like didn't really play a bunch after that um but it's uh it's 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 like look I, I i i go back to like it's really difficult to look at this year's team and and not project forward but i'm just like i don't know if you saw Dejounte murray's uh he posted a video the other day of him throwing down this ridiculous windmill um seemingly looks 100% healthy and I mean he, you have Derek White who has just this look in his eyes last night when he's going back on defense defending Jamal Murray that's just like I will take the ball from you if you come at me and then you have DeJounte Murray who's already made an all-defensive team and it's like how I just don't the Spurs are just like it's a it's just amazing man it's just amazing yeah like uh, I mean Derek White's probably gonna make an all-defense team this year we think right he will make. He will be making all defensive teams, multiple plural, throughout his career. I don't know necessarily this year. I mean, you have you have Marcus Smart, you have uh, Drew Holiday, you have Holiday, you have Clay, who's that's just a reputation vote. You have Beverly, reputation vote. Although those two have played very well, um, I would definitely yeah. have uh, Derek White over Clay this year. I will say that. And then you have just the fact that San Antonio's defense took a step back this season, and right. uh, I think that'll hurt because, for unfair or not, that's that's just what it is. But um, no, Derek, it's nothing to say about like Derek White is just he's he's a two way guard who can play on or off the ball. These are incredibly valuable pieces, and the Spurs now have two. <laughs> They're both really young. Yeah, I'll be really interested to see where this all goes from here. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about Damian Lillard, though. Uh, we're going to get Damian Lillard uh, tonight, if I remember correctly, um, on ESPN, right? Mm, I believe so. And it's going to be a road game for the Thunder. It's interesting to me that Oklahoma City hasn't really tried to trap Dame all that much. Like, you would think that you could potentially do some things like going small and playing Nerlens or playing Jeremy Grant and doing things similar to how Oklahoma, or, uh, New Orleans did last year with Lillard, right? Where you can use a big to trap him and get the ball out of his hands. I mean, may- maybe he's just above that now, but just the fact that Oklahoma City hasn't even really attempted that yet is interesting to me. So they, I mean, in, in game one, they, that was the game plan, right? Like, Adams was high on everything. He was sliding lateral with the screen. Well, they were it's, trying. To... It's different with Steven, though, because I don't think Steven's quick enough to like actually execute it. Like Steven's a really good defender. Don't get me wrong, but like he's not a guy that you want to like full on trap with. I don't think he's not. Well, they. I mean, that that's been their scheme, but he's not Anthony Davis to your point, and that that was kind of how they executed last year. Uh, 
Drew and, and AD doing that was just, that was monstrous. Uh, and to your point, yeah, Adams is not even close to that in terms of lateral quickness and length and activity. But, like, that strategy was obliterated because, you know, every time the shot would go up and Adams would be out of the paint, Ennis Cantor would just grab the offensive rebound. He would yeah, that's a good bulldoze point. whoever was uh, in, in around the basket, be it Jeremy Gr- I mean, there was no one who could touch him. So that was a real tricky thing, and I thought Donovan Donovan had to adjust. And at the end of the day, um, I mean, another thing, just before I, I move on from that point, is just like you need Adams on the floor more than Nerlens or, or Grant at the five for your offense because you cannot – you cannot move the ball north to south without Steven Adams setting high screens. Like that's kind of the situation we're in right now with the Thunder's offense. It's, it's really gross. We knew it. We knew it heading in. And then you add uh, insult to injury with uh, Paul George's shoulder and everything that's going on with him. And um, that is an undeniable factor in the conversation of this series. Um, So like, I, I thought that the Thunder, uh, I thought that the trapping that they executed all year long would pay dividends in this series and that it was a perfect matchup for them and that Paul George would assert himself as the best player. Um, so I, I had Thunder and six and I didn't really think too hard about it. And now I'm, I mean, I'm completely off of that. <laughs> I, 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 I think Dame has asserted himself as a, a far superior player than uh, the point guard on the other team. Ooh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm looking I even, for. I, I don't even think that that's controversial. I, I don't, don't know either. how you feel. I yeah. don't either. Like, Russ is great. Like, he's one of the five best point guards in the league. But, I mean, Dame is probably number two for me right now behind Steph. D- Dame has been, yeah, Dame has been absolutely terrific. And so you have, you have, uh, um, yeah, PG's and that's injury. by the way, assuming we don't call James Harden a point guard, like we could oh, realistically, yeah. but yeah, no, I, I it's cheating to call him a point guard in my opinion. He plays with Chris Paul, like come on, right? Um, but uh, no, so now I, I I'm I'm really heavily leaning towards Portland, and that is just it's a, a lot a lot of Dame. Um, uh, you know, I think that you know going back to Cantor, I think that he has uh, he's played well. I think. Not, I don't want to say he's played well defensively because what Oklahoma City wants to do still is just attack him relentlessly. Um, so it's not like he's dissuading that strategy. But he has not gotten completely played off the floor, um, right. which is a big plus for the Blazers. And given what are the options behind him now that Yusuf Nurkic is no longer available. So uh, I, I like Portland going forward and and you know as i say this paul george could suddenly i don't know get a cortisone shot in his shoulder and look like the guy who was the the best player alive for for a month uh, earlier this season and that would completely change the direction of the series i think but but uh this team just doesn't have enough shooting and we knew that heading into the series we knew that heading into the playoffs and uh i should have factored that into my decision uh in, in picking them but um but no, Portland has been terrific. CJ McCollum has been terrific uh, in spots when when they've needed him to be great, and uh, and I, I like Portland. I like them a lot, and they could go a lot further than I expected. Yeah, I, I think that they would be my favorite right now to go to the Western Conference Finals. Um, the last thing I want to talk to you about is just centers. Uh, mm-hmm. What do we think of the center position now after this playoffs? Like, 
Joel Embiid has, I mean, like we talked a little bit about Philly, like looking very different without Joel Embiid on the floor and potentially being a little bit more fluid offensively. Um, Brooklyn, I think, has had a bit more trouble scoring when Joel's been off the floor, realistically. Um, they, they've just done a good job of pulling, especially in game one, they did a great job of pulling him away from the basket and causing them some issues. And maybe it's because Joel's hurt, obviously. Like, I'm not saying that Joel's 100% right now, but I think that's a thing. You look at the way Utah has played. Rudy Gobert... I don't think that what is happening in that series is Rudy's fault. Uh, I think that it's more a circumstance where they played that fucking god-awful defensive scheme for a game and a half and lost them the game that way. But Rudy Gobert has not been in a great spot in this series. DeMarcus Cousins, I thought the Warriors would play better without DeMarcus Cousins uh, in their playoff series against the Clippers. Uh, I mean, like, what, what other... What, what other points can we make here about this? Like the, the, the center position has just been um, marginalized against the best teams in this playoffs. And I find that very, very interesting in the way that we go about building rosters. You need a particular skill set to be an effective postseason center. And I, I, I look at I look at. So, OK, so you have your Al Horfords, right? Um, Al Horford is a postseason center. He right. can he can stretch the floor. You saw him at the end of the game uh, in Game Two, where he's able to kind of track Boyan and 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 stick with him on a drive and and smother him at the rim. Uh, he can switch out. He can drop. He can uh, stay high. He can do almost anything defensively. And then he's also a great passer, and he can take the ball off the defensive glass and push it in transition and set screen. He just does He just does everything. So he's, he's, in my opinion, an ideal five for the postseason in 2019. Um, you, a lot of the guys you mentioned, you know, the, the strategy, uh, defensive strategy the, uh, uh, that was in vogue throughout 2019 was basically, you know, bigs were dropping again. And, you know, teams were seeding uh, pull-up threes, pull-up twos. You look at the Milwaukee Bucks and how dramatically they executed it with Brooke Lopez and just kind of, I don't know if hiding is the right word, but it probably is. You know, they're hiding him in the paint. You're, you're maximizing his strengths and you're hiding his weaknesses by yep. executing that strategy. Um, I think that in the playoffs that drop bigs, it's problematic for a, a couple reasons. And, and I think the number one reason for me is that it's very simple that the competition just goes up a, a level. So yeah. you're in a, you're in a series against either golden state or Houston or Boston, or, I mean, pick your, pick your poison Toronto and they're, you're going to get, uh, picked apart, um, with, with guys who can run high pick and roll, pull up off the dribble. And it's basically a layup for them. And so I don't know, you know, going forward, one of the reasons why I'm a little bit skeptical about the Bucks is the Brooke Lopez thing and how important he is to them, not only on defense with that strategy, which I think can be exposed against several teams when you get to, you know, the better teams in the league, your Houston's, your Golden State, your Boston's, et cetera. Um, but I think uh, on the other end, he is so important as a spacer for Giannis that it is like it cannot be said how how critical he is. So it'll be very interesting to see um, if he is played off the floor uh, by a team in a series, what Bud does to adjust so that Giannis can still be Giannis. Because at the end of the day, look, I love Giannis, but I, I had Harden and in, in, Harden is the MVP and the best player in basketball, in my opinion, still, because 
the regular season is not the playoffs. And as great as Giannis has looked against the whatever the the, the, the whatever group of uh, athletes are are currently on the floor for the Detroit Pistons, the warm bodies. Like, Exactly, the warm, but like not a real NBA. It's not a real NBA team right now. Like, let's be serious right now. So, um, you know, he's just attacking in transition. He's just kind of having his way against this team that can't hit shots and, and can't set up defensively. Uh, it's not a real test at all. Uh, and and historically, you know, the way he's played in the playoffs, teams have forced him to access his weakness. They've forced him to shoot. And so, I want to see how he excels in a situation where. Brooke Lopez gets played off the floor and all of a sudden Giannis needs to needs to shoot. What happens? I mean that's that's a big question well, for me. The, the big I'm adjustment is that you play that. him at the five, right? Like that's the that's the move. It's just whether or not they'll do it. So that's the move, but then what happened? I mean, first of all, that you're asking a lot out of Giannis to play the five, especially if you if you have that same strategy. You know what I mean? Like and there's also the fear of foul trouble and just a lot of things can go haywire if you do that. And so, I mean, you have DJ Wilson, who's kind of been on the shelf a little bit. And I think that Bud might be hiding that up. I mean, he, he broke it out in the, in the middle of the season and DJ was terrific. And right. I think that Bud was kind of like, I don't want to put this on tape anymore. Like that's my personal theory <laughs> of that. Um, so I we'll love see that take. DJ, yeah. So we'll see if DJ uh, shines in a series that would not surprise me at all. I don't think Ilyasova is the answer. Um, so that's just like, so I, I'm straying a little bit from the big man thing, but um, if you're basically, if you're a big who can't shoot threes or sh- shoot outside the paint, I mean, Gobert, in my opinion, is just not a postseason big. It's, it sucks to say that, but it, he just, he just isn't. Andre Drummond is not a postseason big. Um, well, so I guess the question is, like, how do you go about trying to build your roster then? Like, because these guys do have intense value during the regular season. They do have value that brings you to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's tough. Like, are they worth investing $25 million in if you can't actually, like, win playoff series with them? I, I do wonder. I think about what Draymond said with 16 game players versus 82 game players all the time. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Like, that is that is something that factors into my analysis. It's one of the first things I think of when I'm analyzing a player because I think that look, in my opinion, like the more I cover the NBA, the less significant the regular season is to me, and like a little microcosm of that is just how I analyze the Boston Celtics this year, where it's like. Look, you can ride the roller coaster all year, but like in the playoffs, when they put Horford at the five and they have Hayward, Tatum, Jalen, and Kyrie, or whatever is the lineup that they have out there that is just filthy uh, and really difficult to match up with, just in a seven-game series, like that's all that matters, and it's really difficult to combat that versus small sample size theater, which is a thing that I think you and I and a lot of people who cover the league detest, right? Right. So. It's like that that conversation is really difficult to have and there's a thin line and there's a balance there but at the end of the day there's certain guys who just can't impact winning in the playoffs and it's uh it's fascinating really. So the last thing that we should get to is just final thoughts here. Do you have any hot takes? Do you have any do you have any <laughs> wild opinions you want to get out there before I let you go? Hmm. Um 
I mean, heading into the playoffs, I thought that I wrote in my notes that I thought that Ben Simmons was more of an X factor, closer to being an X factor slash role player than uh, than than superstar. Um, I that's a pretty hot, ridiculous take, uh, and I don't even know how much I believe it. Even a week later, uh, just <laughs> we we already talked about it so much. Um, I, I think I'll just say that. I think the Houston Rockets are going to win the championship. Ooh, that's another one. Man, you're a reasonable guy, Pina, but you, you've you brought some fire in this one. <laughs> that's and I love for. it. I love it. Um, no, I mean, I mean, last year, before the season started, I picked Houston to win it all. I still think that a lot of screwy things ha- happened to them, and they should have probably won it all. Um, this year, they look even better, and... I mean, you just Harden is obviously better. That's indisputable. You have Chris Paul, who I think there are a lot of benefits to playing the Warriors in round two before Harden, you know, goes through two rounds of this brutal, taxing, ISO heavy uh, scheme that they have offensively. Um, And the same goes for Chris. And, you know, we obviously saw last year in the Western Conference Finals when he pulled his hammy and, and he couldn't play in game six and game seven. So. I think that they're going to catch Golden State at the right time. Golden State is, I would say Golden State is still the most talented team in the league, but not having a five-man, look, I mean, DeMarcus Cousins, he did a lot of damage to them the last time they played in the regular season. I think they'll they'll miss DeMarcus. I think that Clint Capella is, he looks like a different player. Uh, A lot of the analysis with Clint Capella last year was so flowery and so, uh, uh, hyperbolic in my opinion and i think that the player that a lot of people were seeing last year that is actually who he is right now if that makes yeah. any sense i think he's he's just excellent right now i think he does a lot of things right now that he could not do last year um he just he just looks like a different player to me so i i think you you factor all of that in you factor in someone like daniel house who brings something to the table that even a guy like trevor ariza could not last year um I, I just, I like everything that Houston is doing, and I did not even mention P.J. Tucker, who is their best defender, or Eric Gordon, who is, you know, who would be a number two option on almost any other team in the league. Uh, I, I I think they're, they're just stacked, and uh, I think that Golden State will have to bring, like, a haymaker on the level of, of you know, oh, what was the, was uh, the first year Durant was in the, was on the Golden State Warriors when they were in the finals against Cleveland. They're going to need to bring that type of force, and I don't know if they're capable of it. Yeah, no, I I agree for the most part, um, at least in terms of the Warriors needing to actually bring it. Mm-hmm. I just don't see it <laughs> happening. No, but, it, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. <laughs> at all. But that's why we bring Mike Pina on the show. Mike, I'm out here planning a wedding right now. I gotta get going. I gotta, I gotta send out these save the dates. I gotta do, I, I gotta do all this when it comes to planning the wedding, man. Uh, you have any tips for me? You just got married last year. I do. Uh, first of all, congratulations. Um, the wow, you got a lot, a lot of stuff to do. It sounds like because you haven't even done the save the dates yet. Obviously, you haven't done the invitations yet. I, I personally licked all the envelopes because I wanted to try to pull off the. Uh, the you want to go full Costanza? Exactly, that's what I was going for. Um, that was a very bad decision on my part. It was disgusting. Um, I, I, yeah, I, the advice is just take it easy. Uh, it'll be here before you know it. Day of, 
enjoy it um everything goes by in a blur and uh don't See, get too stressed you got you got to make that move of getting a uh day of event planner i can't that, that's what we went with we're not we're not planning the wedding or like not like organizing it day of can't do oh, it. oh we had a uh this this woman with the the I, I don't even know what company it was i guess not the catering company but yeah whatever uh, they were, I guess, an employee of the Boston Public Library, which is where I got married. Uh, and she basically followed me around with, because I was on this crazy diet before the wedding. Um, and she just followed me around with like pizza and wings and like, <gasps> she was just next to me the whole day. I, I really appreciate it. After the pictures were taken, it was all over for me. That's amazing. That is absolutely incredible. <laughs> Tina, <laughs> tell the people what you've got going on. Tell them where you're writing. Tell the people where they can find your work. Right. So uh, follow me on Twitter at Michael V. Pina. And uh, right now through the end of the postseason and I guess through the end of July, actually, I'll be covering the league for SB Nation. Uh, they were uh, nice enough to have me. So uh, follow me over there. Check my, re- my work out over there. And then I've got some other stuff in the pipeline at a few other places that I'm not at liberty to uh, divulge right now, but uh, look out for that that mystery work as well. We've got mysteries being planted by Pina. We've got <laughs> mysteries around the NBA in regard to who's going to win the title. I love it. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Android, wherever you get suboptimal podcasting content. I promise you, we are there. Uh, we'll be back later this weekend, maybe Monday, uh, to break down more NBA playoff stuff. Where I just published a big thing on the Phoenix Suns. Uh, just basically a 7,000 word takeout on where they are heading into the off season. And then additionally, uh, I'll have a 2020 mock draft coming out on Monday, I believe. So uh, keep it locked at the athletic for that. But until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.